Isaiah 11. We're talking a lot about Advent. We, we lit our first uh, Advent candle this morning for the Advent season. Our elders are leading uh, Advent gatherings in our communities. Uh, but but what, is, what is Advent? Well, it's, it's a word that is transliterated from Latin, uh, the words Adventus in the Latin, and it literally means coming. It literally means coming. So for us, Advent is, is looking in one respect to He who's already come, uh, Jesus Christ. He was born in a manger, uh, but it's also looking ahead to His second coming. And, and, and so uh, that, that, that's Advent. And over the next five weeks of Advent here at Fellowship, we're going to be examining Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1 to 10, in a new series titled, All Hail King Jesus. And this morning's message is simply titled, Hope. Hope. All hail King Jesus. Hope. So as you're turning to Isaiah 11, I'm going to be reading, I'm going to read the whole uh, text for the series, Isaiah 11 verses 1 to 10, but they're going to drill down in our text in Isaiah 1 this morning. So look with me as I read. Isaiah 11, beginning in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his eyes hear or ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor, and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist, and faithfulness the belt of his loins. The wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them." The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And that day... The root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples of him, shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. And again, our text this morning is verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. It goes. Would you join me in prayer? Father, this morning we come. Our hearts prepared as we thought about coming to church this Sunday. Our hearts prepared as we gathered and praised to your great name, singing of the hope that is ours through Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior. And now, Father, as we press into this hope, this hope that comes from a shoot growing out of a stump, a branch that bears fruit. Speak to our hearts. Speak into our lives. 
and fill us, Lord, with this hope we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, if you're taking notes this morning, uh, you, you don't have an outline up here, but I can give you uh, my points. Our first point is hope's foundation. Hope's foundation, a Messiah promised. Hope's foundation, a Messiah promised. That's going to be from verse 1. Hope's first fruits is our second point. Hope's first fruits, a Savior born. That's going to be from verse 1 that's our text. And then finally, hope's fulfillment. Hope's fulfillment. A king returns. A king returns. So, uh, hope's foundation of Messiah promised. When we think about this chapter that we just read, in fact, the, the whole book of Isaiah and, and Christmas, our, our text this morning is not the one that immediately comes to mind. When, when, when we are uh, uh, shopping for Christmas cards and, and, and trying to find that right one for our family, the one that catches our eye doesn't speak about stumps and shoots and branches, right? The verses about Christmas with which we are most familiar, that we hear most often, are, are found in other places in Isaiah. In Isaiah 7.14, uh, the, the prophet declares, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isn't that, isn't that a great, great word? The virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. God with us. Another great verse that we read and think about and hear in the seasons found in Isaiah chapter 9. And in verses 6 and 7, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord will do this. And those great verses that speak to us of Christmas, that speak to us of this coming Savior, that speak to us of this Messiah that's been promised. I can't read that verse out of Isaiah 9 without hearing the handles Messiah in my head. So beautiful. Those verses fill me with so much joy as I look back upon the birth of our Savior. But when these verses were penned, there wasn't a lot of joy to go around. When these verses were being penned by Isaiah, when, when he was proclaiming over uh, the, the southern kingdom, specifically uh, Judah, uh, th there wasn't a whole lot of hope to be found. At the time of these prophecies, the, the, these were just promises yet to be fulfilled, and they came at a time of great trial and darkness. If you know Israel's history, you, you, you know of, uh, how after they had been in the promised land for a season under judges, eventually they cried for a king, and God raised up a king named Saul, and then he set him aside, and he raised up another king named David. King David. And, and, and as Israel would think about their great king David, they, 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 they uh, pictured him in splendor and in glory. Never a king like him had ever been. And then, after David's death, Solomon took the throne. And Solomon did that that David couldn't do. He built the temple. 
A temple that was so magnificent, that that was so full of the glory of God and pointed to the glory and and, and greatness of God that people from all over the earth would come to see it, to behold it, and would weep. The highs of the nation of Israel. But their star had begun to fade. As Solomon died, his son Rehoboam took the throne. The kingdom was split into the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin. For that northern kingdom, Israel, all of their kings were wicked and sinned before God. And for that southern kingdom, Judah, most of their kings, there were some exceptions, but most their kings followed suit. It was a dark time. It was a time where the people of God, instead of worshiping at the temple, worshiped on the high places and worshiped idols, worshiped false gods. And because of their sin, God was bringing judgment. Because of their sin, God was raising, out, uh, raising up prophets to declare over them this coming judgment. One of those whom God raises up as a form of his judgment is the kingdom of Assyria, whom God calls his hammer. And it's under Assyrian tyranny and threat that Isaiah is declaring these prophecies and these promises of a coming Savior. For Judah, the southern kingdom, not only did they have uh, uh, to worry about kingdoms such as Assyria and Egypt and other nations around them, but they had to worry about their their brothers, the northern kingdom as well. The the king of Israel joined with the king of Syria, and and they set out to march upon Jerusalem and to take the southern kingdom. In fear, Ahaz, the king of Judah at that time, reached out to to Assyria and to the king of Assyria. He emptied the temple of its treasures to to take as a gift to him, to uh, implore him and to plead with him to come and to protect them and to deliver them. Isn't this sad that, that, that this king of Israel who, who, who lived in the city that the temple existed, who, whose father David and, and whose father Solomon had come and worshipped God in the temple and, and, uh, and whom God had given great blessings to because of their faithfulness to him, that, that, that Ahaz, instead of turning to God in his time of need, in, instead empties that temple of its treasure and takes it to a foreign king serving false gods seeking a false hope of deliverance. The king responds and he comes and and, and he destroys Syria and ultimately the northern kingdom is taken into captivity in around 721 and 722 B.C. And and, and having seen that, having experienced that, you, you think that the southern kingdom would say, I get it, that if you sin against God, if you turn against God, judgment follows. But they followed steadfastly on their path towards destruction. And Isaiah proclaimed over and over and over again for them to beware because judgment was coming. Because judgment was coming. And that's the context and that's the history. As we look at these verses in Isaiah 11 over these next weeks that is taking place, that Israel, uh, in terms of its whole, the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom have turned their backs on God and are following their own ways and doing that which is sin. And God brings judgment. 
But in the midst of his bringing judgment, in the midst of his prophecies of destruction, in the midst of his prophecies of woe, he continues to extend hope. A virgin shall give birth, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, God with us. Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. A stump, a shoot shall arise from a stump, and a branch from its roots shall bring forth fruit. In the midst of this darkness, in the midst of this despair, in the midst of this weightiness, in the midst of this call for destruction and warning, Isaiah presents hope. It doesn't have to be this way. You don't have to go this way. I want to point you to a coming hope, to a coming Savior. And the people of Israel responded to that, and they looked for that, and they said, yes, we want this king who will deliver us from our oppression. We want this king who will deliver us from our foes. We want this king who will set up his kingdom and rule perfectly. They looked for that Savior, a Messiah that was promised. I was thinking about Pastor Jason's sermon last week and his confession about as he's reading in the, in the New Testament that he looks and, he, and, he, and wherever he sees uh, the, the Jews, he looks at them as the bad guys. When he's reading the epistles and, and it speaks about the Jews, he's like, yep, there they are, there they are. And, and that verse he referenced in Romans 11 that speaks about not being arrogant, not being haughty, because uh, they, they are, are the branch and, and that have been broken off that we might be engrafted. And in the Old Testament, when we look at things like this, when we see uh, uh, the, the sin of God's people turning against them, it's easy to point at it and go, God, you are so stupid. Oh, my God. You've got the temple right there in your city. You've, you, I mean, the, the very glory of God resides in your midst. You, you've, you've had all these prophets. You've had all these examples of God's goodness. How could you do this? But the truth is, I relate to them. I relate to them. So many of the trials that I've had over the years weren't so much happening to me as were happening by me. Do you ever experience that? That, that? that this God whom we serve, this God whom we know, the God whom we're worshiping today, the God whom we celebrate his birth, uh, this, not the birth of God, but the birth of his son, Jesus Christ, the, the God becoming flesh for us, you know, on Christmas, the, the, you know, he whom we mourn in, in terms of Easter, whom, whom we worship with all of our lives, don't, don't we also turn our backs on him? Sometimes, as I was thinking about this and processing this, I thought about Ahaz and his infidelity to God, not trusting the protection of God, but, but, but rather trusting Ahaz, not Ahasuerus, but the king of Assyria, emptying the temple of its treasures, defiling the temple in a sense, in order to, to gain this king's protection. I think, well, gosh, William, how many times have you done that? How many times where, where, where uh, things don't seem to be going your way or you want something that you don't yet have that you began to scheme and, and, and to plan and, and, and rather than looking to God and trusting in God and waiting on God, you try to make your own way. <laughs> I'm so thankful for the promise that God has given through Jesus Christ, our Lord the hope that he brings. 
when all feels lost, when all seems hopeless, when things are beyond repair, there shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Are you needing to experience that hope this morning? Is this something that you're looking to? There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. This language is far less glamorous than those verses that we looked at earlier from Emmanuel, God with us, to a wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, to a shoot from the stump of Jesse. Perhaps this speaks to the humble origin of King David, born in Bethlehem, being similar to the humble origin of this coming king who also would be born in Bethlehem. Hope's foundations, the Messiah promised. Hope's first fruits as a Savior born. Fast forward some 700 years, and Israel is being oppressed yet again by another great nation. This time it's Rome. It's not Assyria. Once again, Israel has a, a, a vassal king. Instead of Ahaz, it's Herod. The previous 400 years have been silent with regard to God as Malachi was the last prophet to speak on his behalf. For 700 years, 700 painful, tumultuous years since the prophecies of Isaiah, the Jews had been awaiting their promised Messiah, awaiting the one who would reign in power and overthrow their enemies. In their helplessness, they yet had hope that God would hear their cry and bring them salvation. Generation after generation after generation, those who had been led into captivity, those who returned, those who were spread to the uttermost parts of the earth, held forth this hope that one day our king will come, one day our deliverer shall arise, one day, one day he will make all things perfect. They had hope that God would hear their cry and bring them salvation. But this king they, they, they looked at didn't come in the way that was expected. As we know, the advent of Jesus was as humble a beginning as was David's kingship. Like a tender shoot from a dead stump, the look-for king was born in a manger and visited by shepherds. From King David, the shepherd of Israel, to a lamb born in a manger and beheld by shepherds. For, for, for me, it's that one verse in Isaiah 11, our text this morning, that best paints the picture of what the coming of Messiah would look like. These others speak of this majestic king, this wise governor, this great leader, but, but, the, but the prophecy of Isaiah 11 is that out of a stump, a shoot will, will arise, a branch that will bear fruit. From humble origins, from a humble beginning, shall this come to pass. As we celebrate this Christmas season, this Advent season, as we reflect often on the birth of Jesus, as we look at manger scenes in our homes and in other places and think about how rude, how common, how crude even his origins are, how disappointing it must have been for those looking for a king. And, and, and instead of, uh, uh, of, of the nations arising and calling out the glory of this king, it was shepherds who couldn't even testify in court because they were counted so unworthy, so unsavory, that came and witnessed that he had been born and declared his glory to those around them. Instead of a king arrayed in glory, he was a humble child of humble origins, as Isaiah writes in Isaiah 
53.2. For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. But as our text declares, the shoot becomes a branch and the branch bears fruit. Uh, Think with me for a moment this morning how impossible God's plan of redeeming His creation really is. How ludicrous it seems on the face of it. He promises Abraham, excuse me, that he will be the father of many nations, though he and his wife Sarah are elderly. They have a son who has a son who has 12 sons who ultimately become the nation of Israel, but not before they spend 400 years as slaves in Egypt. But they escape Pharaoh's wrath by crossing the Red Sea on dry land and eventually make it to the promised land where God one day gives them a king because they want to be like the other nations, but sets that king aside because of his disobedience and raises up another king who is the youngest son of the shepherd Jesse and makes him great through though his grandson Rehoboam would end up splitting the kingdom, both of which would ultimately go into captivity, with only the southern kingdom returning to the land after 70 years of exile, and 500 years later, God becomes flesh, and the Savior of the world is born of a virgin in a manger near the shepherd fields in Bethlehem. He leads an unremarkable life for 30 years, then begins an itinerant ministry that leads to his death on a cross into a borrowed tomb from which he arose on the third day, having conquered death in the grave and providing the way by which we ourselves can now be saved. Praise God indeed. There were many opportunities during that long history for the plan of God to be derailed, for the people of God to be completely extinguished, and many times deservedly so because of their rebellion against God, because of their sin. But when all seemed hopeless, God prevailed. Our text this morning, in fact, the entirety of the, body, uh, entirety of the Bible is a book uh, uh, or a story of creation's helplessness and creation's hopelessness, but God intervening time and again to redeem His creation to Himself. When we feel helpless, inevitably our hope is eroded until we feel hopeless. But God is a God of hope. He's a God of hope. For for Israel and their struggle, they they, they were looking forward. There was a a Messiah had been promised, a king who who would lift their burdens and and restore righteousness to to, to, to his creation. For us, we we look back and and, and see that a Messiah was born, and, and, and because of that, we can be saved. We have hope that we will be with him for eternity. But it's not the end of the story. Because there's hope's fulfillment. A king will return. What a great privilege it is for us to come and to worship God and, and, and to go home and, and, and as we endure hardship and discomfort to, 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 to think about our hope that, that Messiah was born and our king will, will, will come and, and because he died I can live and be comforted in those things but, but the truth is the world is not yet perfected, is it? There are still crazy things that go on. There's still despair. There's still hopelessness all around us. As David Cheek said and read as they were lighting the candle this morning, we've come through two very difficult years. And it doesn't look like there's an end in sight. 
My news feeds are just full of stories about the new uh, Omicron variant and how contagious it is. It's been a hard two years, hasn't it? Hope. God is a God of hope. In the same way that Israel longed for their king, we also long for ours. We long for a second coming when all will be made right. We look at the world around us, the pain and the suffering, and this is not what the kingdom of God looks like. When I think about hopelessness, my lowest time that, that I think I've ever had was shortly after the birth of my grandfather. I was in the Navy, a station aboard a submarine out of Charleston, South Carolina. My grandfather had a uh, terminal cancer diagnosis. My grandfather was a strong believer. I, I, I wasn't a believer at all. And my grandfather's last words to me were, don't let this be goodbye forever. <laughs> I knew exactly what he was talking about. The Spirit of God was speaking through him to, to my heart about salvation, but I didn't know how to be saved. And, and so for, for me, I, I tried to bargain with God and said, okay, God, if, you'll, if, if you will save my grandfather's life, this man who has been a father figure to me, this man who, who, who raised me uh, when, when, uh, uh, throughout the first years of my life and, and with whom I lived off and on throughout my teenage years. Lord, if you will save this man, you can have my life. Restore his Take mine. But, but God wasn't going for that deal. And my grandfather passed away. And this anchor in so many ways in my life, this place of stability for, for my life, this place that when I go back to Fort Worth, I still drive by the home I grew up in where they lived because of how it was the single single thing in, in, in my life that made sense, the single thing in my life where, where I had stability and I could be safe. And I felt like I lost it all when my grandfather died. And so one night late, standing watch up on that deck of the submarine, thinking how forlorn I was because my grandfather was gone, I took my service weapon and I put it to my head. And my logic was this. My logic was unassailable. If this is all there is, then what's the point? If, if, if evolution is true, and my sole purpose is to reproduce and preserve my species, what's the point? If there is no heaven and there is no hell, and as soon as I pull this trigger, my existence ends and I know nothing ever again then what's the point of living in this mess? <laughs> and somehow, in some way, God pierced through the darkness of my brokenness. <laughs> and in his own way, though not with these words, he showed me this shoot coming from the stump of Jesse. That when all seems lost, when, when everything has been devastated, yet there is hope, and that hope isn't in your circumstances, that hope is in a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hope, 
hope's fulfillment. A king returns in the same way that Israel longed for their king. We long for ours. We long for that second coming when all will be made right. Look with me, or listen, I guess, as I read in Revelation chapter 19, thinking about this, this uh, uh, king returning. It says in verse 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, which are us, by the way, arrayed in linen, which is white and pure, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And get this, verse 16, on his robe and on his thigh, he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Uh, fellowship, join me this morning in saying, all hail King Jesus. Amen. All hail King Jesus. This morning, because the shoot grew from the stump of Jesse, the branch that bore fruit, we can declare with joy, all hail King Jesus. King Jesus, not our circumstances, is our hope. When Jesus was crucified, Satan and the world thought they were in charge. The rulers of the day put a sign on his cross to mock him that said, King of the Jews. Hmm. But now, but now that he's rose again, risen again, but, but now that, that he is waiting with his armies to come and, and, and to recreate the world, to literally make it a new creation, no matter what your circumstances, no matter where you are, no matter how devastated your life is looking right now, there is hope. There is hope. It's not your circumstances changing where you'll find hope. It's in the person of Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer this morning? Father, this morning we, as we celebrate Advent, as we think about uh, oh, our upcoming Christmas celebrations, our time with family, as we think about the joy we'll experience in giving and receiving gifts, I, I know some, Lord, aren't as happy about that as others. That, that life is challenging right now. That the season through which they're going is difficult. Perhaps through loss, loss of a loved one, loss of a marriage, loss of a job, God forbid, even loss of a child. Father, this morning I pray that... Uh, that your word would bring them hope and in hope comfort and in comfort peace. 
We recognize this morning, Father, that our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And that we dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly trust in Jesus' name. By whom we pray. Amen. In Isaiah 12, verse 1, it says, You will say in that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for though you were angry with me, your anger turned away that you might comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and will not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and my song, and he has become my salvation. Mm. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Blessings, fellowship.